Good evening. Welcome to nighttime. For the next half hour, I'd love to give you some thoughts as you unwind at the end of your day. It's really good for you at the end of the day to be thinking of things that are important and not be worrying about things that you can't control. If you know the one who can control all things, you need to be able to rest in the fact that he loves you and that there is a plan. And if your life is not in line with that plan, this would be a good time to get it in line with his plan. We call that repentance. Repentance isn't beating on your chest and crying out, uh, although you might do that, I guess. It's really changing what you think and agreeing with God. And in order to agree with God, you have to know what God has said. Well, each night that you choose to listen, I get to challenge you to think about things that are true from God's Word and show you a way to struggle through things, to learn, and hopefully apply what you learn. The last few programs we've been going through a book that I wrote to help young men especially learn how to dive into the Bible. There's 21 very short devotionals in there that shows a Bible verse and a thought that goes with those verses and some blank pages so they could spend some time interacting with the scripture and their thoughts. I think it's important that we spend time developing our thoughts and making sure that our thoughts are in line with the truth or we can be deceived. Being deceived is one of the most tragic things in life because you think you know the truth so you're not doing anything to change but you're actually being deceived. You don't know the truth. You always have to have an outside source to be able to look at what you believe so that you know that you believe what is true. In this Beyond the Deception book, which is available if you want to go to relate365.com, we compare each of the lessons that we learn to another piece of the truth puzzle. We've gone through three of them. And today we're going to talk about number four. It is possible that some of what I believe actually is a lie, perpetuated by those whom I've trusted. We have to understand that you and I are vulnerable and that there is a chance that what we believe is wrong. It's a lie. And we even believe it because we've trusted people in our lives that we, we love or care for or for some reason have chosen to trust. Satan, when you think about it, is a master at that kind of work. He realizes that he can't just come up to you and tell you a blatant, obvious lie. You wouldn't believe it. He has to sneak it in. 
through trusted sources. And you know, he is willing to do that. He's willing to use you or anybody else to perpetuate lies in a very sincere way. It makes it even harder because perhaps even those who are being used by the evil one don't even know it. And they actually do care for you and they're trying to get you to think like they think. In Jude, one chap, uh, there's only one chapter there, but verses 12 to 16, in the New Living Translation, it says this. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they're like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They're like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, doomed forever to the blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with his countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that the ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag, they brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. God's word has never been politically correct, it's just been true. False teachers or deceived teachers are those who have wormed their way into our lives, our churches, and our families, and teach us things about life, God, and eternity that sound good but that are not true. They are like unseen reefs in the sea that destroy unsuspecting ships. This is a problem. Many of those who are false teachers, those among us who are being used by Satan, are really quite good at what they do and are well hidden. In fact, we may think it's fine to share our sea with them until we actually come into full contact with them and the teaching they spread. Those who are false teachers have a following of people whose lives seem to be forever in disaster. False teachers are not really interested in the good of the people. They're interested only in their own good. They teach for what they get out of it. They give for what they get out of it. They love for what they get out of it. They serve for what they get out of it. They lead 
for what they get out of it. If they get nothing out of it, they would soon be gone. Because to them, any sacrifice is, well, unacceptable. Since this is the case, they often flatter others or use others to accomplish their goals. Their pragmatic ministry is based on the latest business practices, and their structures are aimed more toward getting people on board than toward developing people of character. As I travel, I often listen to Christian or public radio stations. Many times, both of these types of stations are on the air due to the generosity of donors. And we are often reminded of how dependent they are on us, the listeners. It is very interesting that most of the time we are encouraged to give because of what we receive. We receive a blessing. And if we want to continue to receive this blessing, we must sacrificially give. How interesting. I should sacrificially give for, well, for me? What a grand idea to propagate. What a new twist on an old idea of giving because God has placed a burden on your heart to give. What an acceptable deception. Why do I teach? Why do I lead? Why do I give? God needs to help me to be honest in my answers. And you as well. Another piece of the truth puzzle is this. It is possible that what I do can be disguised in a way that makes it seem like I'm doing it for someone else or for some noble cause, when in reality, my good works are another expression of my self-centeredness. The fifth thought in the book Beyond the Deception starts with a quote. It says, when I grumble, I'm all about me. Oh, that is so true. If I start grumbling, I'm grumbling because the rest of the world doesn't revolve around me. What I really need is someone to tell me again that the world doesn't revolve around me, but around God. Jude 1.16 in the New Living Translation says, these people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. What would God say characterizes my life? Am I one who is thankful? Do I have genuine joy? Do you? It is often said that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. We've learned this behavior by being in society and we use it often because it works. Whatever happened to those who were silent before the Lord? What happens to those who wait patiently on the Lord? What happens if we sit still and know that God is God? What will happen to us? 
How powerful are the circumstances in my life when it comes to dictating the joy and peace I experience? False teachers are really all about themselves and enhancing whatever is important to them. If fame is important, they search for the spotlight. If fortune is important, they search for the pot of gold. If health and beauty are important, they search for the fountain of youth. If satisfying urges is important, they search for their next urge fix. What is important to God? I do not mean to ask what God may be interested in, for he's interested in all aspects of my life. I'm asking, what is really important to God? Is my comfort really important to him? Is my health really important to him? How about my wealth? Is that what is important to him? What is it that God is trying to accomplish? Would he use my reputation to accomplish it? Would he use my health, my wealth, my comfort to accomplish his purpose? If so, and if God is actually in charge of things, why would I complain if he chooses to use my health to bring our world to him? Why would I moan when I get the privilege of using my resources to help the needy or further kingdom work? Why would I complain when I'm mistreated if God uses this mistreatment to his honor and glory? I would complain because I'm not connected to what God is doing. I would complain because I am self-absorbed. My moaning and groaning in life imply either that God is not good or that he is not sovereign. Neither of these statements is true, for God is indeed good and sovereign. Therefore, it's my perspective that's skewed. I need to start acting in a way that demonstrates God's goodness and sovereignty or face the reality of being one of the false teachers who will one day be strictly judged for behavior not befitting a true teacher. Grumbling says a lot about ourselves. Another piece of the truth puzzle is this. Grumbling is a barometer showing that the storms of self-centeredness are about to roll in. As I grumble, I honor Satan and minimize my importance to God. When you think about how many times in the Bible it talks about those who grumbled, I don't know how Moses put up with the children of Israel. It seems like they were constantly grumbling, and actually God gave Moses a chance to just wipe them all out and start over, and he didn't want it. Moses loved his people, and he understood that sin was going to have a price, and it did. 
even in his own life, eventually not being able to go in to that promised land. It's so easy to grumble. For many years, I have been in a privileged position at Silver Birch Ranch. You can go to silverbirchranch.org and see all of the various things that we're involved in. We have a one-year college here for people to learn how to serve others and to understand who God is. We have summer camps and year-round ministry. Relate365.com comes to you from the studio on the campus of Silver Birch Ranch. Silver Birch Ranch is kind of the mothership for several different educational ministries to our people. But my position at Silver Birch Ranch is defined by the title President. Sometimes that just means that I'm the one that makes sure that when the toilet's pl plugged that we plunge it. Other times there are other decisions that I need to be in on that affect those who work here and the, the people who visit. And Any way you look at it, there has to be somebody sitting in my chair. Somebody who looks over the ministry and says... I'm the overseer of this and will answer to God one day for what happens and they answer to the various boards that operate us. But I found out through the years that if you are somebody like myself who is in a position where you have a tremendous amount of responsibility and that you're an overseer of things, that the person in charge is always somebody who others can tell how they can do it better. I've joked at times in my head just saying, I know everybody can do my job better than I do it. The truth of the matter is that not everybody knows all of the information that I know when I make a decision. And if I had to spend my entire life giving everybody all the information on every decision, that's what I would spend my life doing. There has to be some kind of trust involved. When I realized that it's so easy to complain, and I ended up confessing to God the many times that I seem to complain about things that I really have no right to complain about. Believe it or not, I could easily complain about the President of the United States and the decisions they make. As if I actually know why they made the decisions. You see, I really don't. It struck me one day while I was criticizing our President, mostly in my head, I asked myself a series of questions that were most humbling. I asked myself if I was ever in on a cabinet meeting with the president and his cabinet in the area that I was criticizing. 
The answer is no. Did I even know who was in the cabinet? The answer again was no. Did I read anything about what actually went into the decision officially from any hand that had something to do with it? The answer is no. But I was very quick to criticize the decision. And I had to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't criticize, grumble. Because what I'm really doing is saying, if I were in charge, I would do it differently and I want people to focus on me. That's really not healthy. People need to focus on God, not Dave. The sixth thought in the book, Beyond the Deception, starts with a quote that says, I'm, I'm usually motivated by the things that bring me most pleasure and least pain. I like starting with a quote to get our thought process going. And it's very true that the things that motivate me the most are not the things that bring me the most pain. I'm usually not motivated to go to the dentist. I'm not motivated to go get a shot. I'm certainly not motivated to go get an operation even though I may be in pain and I need one. I'm never motivated to pay my taxes. Jude 1, 17-19 says this, But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating division among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. What is my purpose in life? I don't mean what is my academic purpose, but what is my God-given purpose? The answer to this question is critical for one day. I will be judged on this purpose. Jesus told the people that if they wanted to be his disciples, they must pick up their cross daily and follow him. The cross was Jesus' purpose. The reason he came to be on earth and die. He was so focused on this purpose that nothing could stop him. In fact, not long before Jesus was going to go to the cross, he prayed and asked God if there was any other way. There wasn't. So Jesus pressed on to accomplish what God put him on the earth to accomplish. Satan worked overtime trying to get Jesus to give in to his fleshly desires. Satan tried again and again to get him to abandon his purpose. Satan was no match for Jesus. And he shouldn't be a match for us who are in Christ Jesus. In most cases, 
People are deceived into believing that their lives are about staying alive until they die. In most cases, people's goals have to do with self, not with the plans of God. In most cases, without even trying, people render themselves useless to the king and his purposes. Because to achieve the purposes they were created to achieve, they must stay focused on the goal even while the masses around them try to get them to loosen up and live for the moment. Those who live their lives with the goal of having no regrets set their sights on the very purpose God created them to fulfill. Years ago, it became popular to talk about a God who did not make humans with specific purposes. In fact, it became popular to talk about doing whatever you'd like Whatever brought you the most joy, whatever fulfilled you the most, supposedly God would just bless your activities as long as you loved him and wanted his name to be known. I'm not certain what the thousands of martyrs through our history would say about such a philosophy. To follow what is right, you must expose what is evil. When you expose evil, evil fights back. In the Bible, the majority is usually wrong. Truth can never be dictated by the masses, for it already exists. Your purpose is given to you by God. And even though Satan would love to deceive you into believing that any old purpose will do, God is not random and his plans are not fluid. He made you for a purpose and he alone can reveal and equip you for, for that purpose. He must, for when you are in his plan, you will be vehemently opposed. The Truth Puzzle Peace for this chapter 6 It's simple, it says, Pleasure comes from seeing the finished work of pain in my life. Avoiding pain means that I will never truly enjoy pleasure. God has made it clear in his word that those who love him and walk with him will be persecuted. There's no way not to be. You're foolish if you run out there and try and be persecuted. That isn't the goal. You will be persecuted because you love God. And those who love God and walk with God and show the world who God is, Satan hates with a passion. He will not sit idly and allow people to show the world who God is. And when we start to do that, we're a target. And if you want to know what a target of Satan looks like, go read the book of Job which is possibly the oldest book in the Bible, and see how Satan went after him. In the end, loving God, walking with him, listening to him is what's going to matter. And those who endured the pain, the suffering that comes with identifying with Christ, will be fine with the fact that they suffered and identified with Christ. In fact, one day, all that's going to matter is that you and I will hear from God, well done. 
And you do know that God doesn't lie. So if your life was not well done, you're not going to hear it. Can you imagine one day standing before the throne of God, waiting and waiting and wanting to hear him say, well done. Wanting to know that your life pleased him. That you fulfilled the mission, the cross that he gave you to fulfill. But not hearing it. Because he won't lie. If you're listening today, there's still time. There's still time to repent and confess your sins and live the way you were intended. There's still time so that when this life is over, you have no regrets. Because God, when we confess our sins, separates them as far as the east is from the west. Once again, I thank you for taking the time to listen to Nighttime, a product of Relate365.com on the campuses of Silver Birch Ranch and the Nicolay Bible Institute. You can find more information on all of them at silverbirchranch.org. If you want to order the books that I'm talking about, you can find those at Relate365.com. They're published by Grace Acres Press in Colorado. Good night.